0: is said when the situation seems harder than what we anticipated or were even told. And tonight, I want to inform anyone that doesn't know what they signed up for when they became a Christian that you signed up for war. That the moment you accepted Christ, you were immediately enlisted into the army of the Lord and you were thrust immediately into the battlefield. But the difference in whether you will survive the war or not is pegged on one thing, knowledge. And indeed, as God would put it through the mouth of Hosea, He will say, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And so how uh, how I want to handle our topic tonight, how I want to handle this topic about war as believers, spiritual warfare for that matter, is I want us to gain knowledge. For knowledge is what will make a difference whether we perish or not. And so, four things that I want us to know tonight regarding this subject. I want us, number one, to know your battle. Know your battle. Secondly, I want you to know your enemy. Know your enemy. Third, I want you to know yourself. And lastly... And I hope I will be able to spend significant time here. I want you to know your God. So let's begin with the first one, know your battle. Perhaps we have heard the phrase, to be forewarned is to be Forearmed. And the reason why this is important for us to be forewarned about the kind of battle that we have gotten into, not that we will get into, that we are already in if we are believers already. The reason is so that you don't go into a gunfight with a knife. You can imagine if people went into war and you you thought you were completely armed because you went with all manner of knives only to find, oh... This was not a knife fight. This was a gun fight. And understanding the battle assists us and helps us to be able to be armed. And the first thing that I would like us to know, brothers and sisters, that when it comes to the battle that you and I are engaged in, that this battle is not physical. Now, I will be saying things that you know. But like Paul would argue in Philippians, to say the same things to you, is not trouble to me and is of benefit to you. And so if I say something that passes, you're like, "Ah, praise the Lord, I have done a good job because I've only told you what is in the scriptures. And so the kind of battle that you and I are engaged in is not a physical battle. And I will make a case about that later. But rather the kind of battle that you and I are engaged in is a spiritual battle. That as we talk about worship tonight, we are talking about a kind of war that does not happen in the physical realm, but happens in the spiritual realm. We are talking about a kind of battle that does not happen through the agency of the human flesh, but a kind of battle that happens through spiritual weapons. Ours is a spiritual battle, and we fight against spiritual superpowers. And so Paul would argue in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen to the kind of beings we are waging war against. It's rulers, it's authorities, it's cosmic powers, it's, it's, it's spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are spiritual superpowers, if you like. Our battle is spiritual. Again, Paul would argue in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of, of, our, of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The kind of battle that we engage in, brothers and sisters, is a spiritual battle. And the reason why that is important for you and I to know and to note is because it is possible for us to be ignorant of the fact that we are in battle just because in the physical and using our physical senses we cannot discern anything. But the moment we realize that what we are up against are not flesh and blood, the kind of battle that we are engaged in is not a physical battle, then you and I are able to have the eyes of our understanding enlightened you, and I are able to have discernment play in so that we will be able to know that we are at war. And so ours is a spiritual battle but also this particular battle will largely be fought in your mind now that passage that i read in second corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 actually reads like this in its entire context beginning from verse 4 but continuing on to verse 5 second corinthians chapter 10 for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I hope you saw that. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and do what? And take every thought captive to obey Christ. This battle that we are talking about here will largely be engaged in your mind. And this is important for us to realize, brothers and sisters, because there are many of us that are in battle and you don't even know. And so I wonder whether, for example, you have had thoughts that are just misplaced. And whether you are discerning enough to know when there is a battle raging in your mind. And as I was preparing this, I felt strongly about some of the things that I am about to say. For instance, there is someone here with suicidal thoughts. And do you imagine that those thoughts are Original with you. No, there is an ongoing battle. Or someone else who has been having of late a feeling, a, a sense of nothingness. You you feel like a nobody. Something tells you that you won't amount to anything. And perhaps for you it's something else. And I wonder what voices have been in your mind recently. And do you imagine for a moment that all of them have been original with you? And if you are able to know your battle, you will be prepared enough to overcome. So you're here, you have suicidal thoughts, you're here, you have this sense of nothingness, this... This feeling like, I'm not good enough. These voices in your head that demean and belittle you and, and, and sometimes you think that those are your own thoughts. You will do yourself a great disservice if you don't realize that the kind of battle we are engaging in will largely be engaged in your mind. That's why Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is how we engage in this battle. Every thought that does not align to the word of God, we take captive. Every opinion, every argument that is raised against the knowledge of God. We demolish, we destroy. Brothers and sisters, you must be able to guard your mind. You must be able to weigh in on the thoughts that you're having and ask yourself the question, is this me or is this someone else? And if it is someone else and it does not accord to the truth, that has been submitted to us in the scriptures, you must learn to take every thought captive. And so you who is struggling with suicidal thoughts, take those thoughts captive because we only know one whose agenda is to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the one that is giving you those ideas. Those are not original ideas. This battle will happen majorly in our mind. But also because our battle is spiritual, then we engage with spiritual weapons. Now, this is important for me to to mention because when we think about spiritual warfare, depending with what denomination you come from, um, we imagine perhaps it has to do with the level of your volume. You know, in prayer, so if I'm praying, Father, in the name of Jesus, that I'm engaging in petition and request. But if I have to engage in spiritual warfare, now you know I have to raise the volume a bit, um, even, even, you know, change that tone. Um, you know, now I've gotten into spiritual warfare territory. Um, for some of us, perhaps that is how we, we imagine, um, we engage in this battle, for some of us, perhaps it's theatrics. Um, and maybe we have heard of those theatrics. I, it's been a while since I was in that, those circles, but I used to be in circles where, you know, there were all manner of theatrics going on. And, and you will be in a prayer meeting. You know, we've woken up. Do you guys still wake up at 3 a.m. to pray? I'm Amma, I'm students no longer do those things. Hiya. But if you're not waking up at 3 a.m. to pray now as a student, when will you wake up at 3 a.m. to pray? Anyway, that is an aside, encouragement for you to pray. And you know, you will wake up early in the morning to pray and, and you will hear a brother in the corner, you know, really binding the devil, engaging in spiritual warfare. Unasikia shetani nime kushika. And then another brother in the corner. say, kimalizana nae nipatia ni deal nae um, and, and sometimes that is what some of us have thought spiritual warfare to be. Uh, when I was in, uh, a student at the University of Nairobi, the fellowship that I was a part of, we invited a preacher to come and preach, and, and I can't even remember the topic he was preaching on, but I remember his, his mannerisms around the pulpit, for he would preach, you know, across the pulpit, and he would say something, a point, and then kick and then he will come to this side and then kick. And then one of us went and asked him later, Hey man of God, why why were you kicking? And he says, I was hitting the devil on the teeth. And and and, and unfortunately, because we have failed to realize that this battle is spiritual, the way we engage has been very carnal. And it's pure theatrics. And as a pastor friend of mine said, Really, that is just comic relief for the devil, wherever he is. It's just, ha, 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 Okay, I don't know how the devil laughs, but they call that an evil laughter, so maybe. The kind of weapons we engage in, they are for us spiritual weapons. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 to 8 will tell us, verse 13 to 18, would tell us what kind of weapons we engage in. It's called the whole armor of God. It's whole meaning you can't cherry pick. You can't pick certain pieces and let go of others. But also it's the armor of God. It's not yours. It's God that gives it to you. And we know what the whole armor of God is. We are supposed to fasten ourselves with the belt of truth. We are supposed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. We are supposed to take up the shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We are supposed to put on the helmet of salvation and to take on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And with all this, we ought to be praying in the spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and supplication. These are our weapons. The belt of truth. Jesus prayed and said, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Do you know the truth? Today we are just talking about knowledge. Do you know the truth? And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Do you know the truth? You may know many things, but do you know the truth? The breastplate of righteousness. And righteousness here in two forms. Positional righteousness for those that are Christians. Now we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But also practical righteousness where your life aligns to what your identity is. Your identity is that you are righteous, declared righteous. But now you must practically leave that out. The breastplate of righteousness. Having our feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. We are going to evangelize to the people in Turkana. We are ready to go. Here I am. Send me, Lord. It ought to be our attitude. Taking up the shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts. Of the evil one, and faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Faith, I would argue, and we were with Nyerere people recently, and we were talking on this subject matter. And, and and Hebrews eleven brings it very well. Verse six says, "Without faith, it is." impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and that is the component of faith that we must have that God is and God is a rewarder that God exists and God rewards to have faith really is to be persuaded to be certain about the existence of God and the goodness of God And are you persuaded, are you certain about that? Because that is your shield. The helmet of salvation. Being persuaded of who you are, and we'll talk about that as a child of God, your identity in Christ, and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, the only offensive weapon we have. Don't you see it? In Matthew chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, as Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, don't you see it? As the enemy tries to come against him, Jesus attacks the enemy with nothing else but the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. Written. It's the only offensive weapon we have. You, whom the devil is attacking you in your mind, the only offensive weapon you have is the Word of God. It is written. The sword of the Spirit that you use to demolish every argument, every lofty opinion, taking every thought captive. It is written. It is written. But do you know the Bible enough to say it is written? And praying in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and supplication. How, how often do you pray? Is your life A life of prayer. Praying at all times. Are you, are you praying right now as we are fellowshipping together? Or you must go to your closet. There's a space for that. But we are to pray at all times. You're starting exams tomorrow, you said. As you do that exam, will you be praying? Guys, that is the life that the believer... And I believe Nehemiah paints a good picture for us. When you read Nehemiah, when he stands before the king, and the king asks him a question, he says, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Do you imagine Nehemiah I told, king, king, king. When he Sana. just give me a moment, went to the closet. Father, the king has asked me what I need. What should I tell him? No. Because the Nehemiah was in a habit of prayer. He could easily, quickly whisper a one-second prayer, and he was able to receive insight from the Lord and respond to the king. When Jesus said, this kind does not come out unless by prayer, other manuscripts will add, and fasting. Do you imagine Jesus was saying, when you see a demon, you go for a prayer meeting, you charge yourself up, And then you come and say, in the name of Jesus, come out. No, it means that you are in an ongoing lifestyle of prayer, as Jesus was. That's why when Jesus appeared, demons fled. He was in a constant lifestyle of prayer. These are our weapons, brothers and sisters. This is what we engage with. This is the nature of our battle. Now, I really need to get to my last point, and so allow me to go to the second one. Now that we know the nature of our battle, that it is spiritual, that it will majorly happen in our minds, that the weapons that we engage in are spiritual weapons. Therefore, let us know our enemy. Now, Let me be quick to say that a good number of us have been fighting the wrong battles and the wrong enemy. Some of us, there are some people who we consider to be enemies. And perhaps, granted, they did us wrong. They harmed us in ways that are too deep to describe. And all we have for them is deep hatred. Again, as I was preparing this, I felt convicted that perhaps Today the Lord wants you to know that your real enemy is not those people. And that knowledge will help you to be freed from your bitterness and from your pain. And so, maybe you are here and you were abused at some point. Or maybe your trust was... Betrayed, or maybe you are abandoned, or you are even rejected, or some nasty thing happened to you in the hands of people. And you have held this against the person or the people that did it to you. I plead with you by the mercies of God tonight, let go of those people, let go of that person. They are not your enemy. Because behind the actions of those people, behind the inactions of those people, there lacks the real enemy. And this enemy, as I mentioned, his mission is one captured in John 10.10. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's the real enemy. That is his mission. And he will ensure, if you are not careful, He will ensure that you continue living with that grudge. He will ensure that you continue hating those people to your own destruction. And so I know it is painful. I know it hurts deeply. I know I cannot understand the depth of humiliation that you went through. But you can't continue destroying yourself and allowing the real enemy to keep destroying your life just because you hold it against them. Let go. Tonight I pray God gives you grace to forgive and to let go of whatever hurt was done to you. Brothers and sisters, we have one single and common enemy the devil. And one of the things that we ought to know is that the devil is bitter. And he is out to get anyone who professes Jesus as Lord. Now the day you accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you became his target. This is what Revelation chapter 12 verse 17 says. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about. Jesus. I hope you see that. And, and there's a larger uh, happening there in the, in the book of Revelation chapter 12. The devil is after the woman who was pregnant and, and, and wants to devour the child and then they are taken up and, and the devil, you know, spews water like a flood and when he realizes he can't, you know, get them now, he goes after their offspring and when you read that text, the offspring seems to suggest the church of Christ, you and I. And he says when he, he was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. And who are they? those who keep God's command and hold fast their testimony about Jesus? Remember, you have an enemy that is bitter. You have an enemy that is out to get you. But also you must know that the devil is crafty. Now, it is interesting that in Genesis, the devil is painted as a serpent, all right? In Revelation, he is painted as a dragon. The devil will become whatever it is so long as his agenda is fulfilled. The devil will appear as innocent as he appeared to Eve, or he will appear as fierce and terrifying as he appeared as a dragon in Revelation. You must realize that whatever fits the devil, that is what he will be, that is what he will appear. Whatever gets him to achieve his purposes, that he will use. And now I know tonight that there are two extreme groups here. Perhaps that is not all of you, but perhaps there are some of us that are in two extreme camps. When it comes to this subject of spiritual warfare and matters spirituals and Demons and devils and all these things that just don't make sense. One group are the secessionists. Those who believe that first, even the miracles we see in the book of Acts and in the life of Jesus, these things ended a while ago. And those who follow in the path and in the patterns of the Sadducees who did not believe in angels or demons. Perhaps there are some of us there are secessionists. And maybe you are not a secessionist by belief, but you are a secessionist by practice. It's possible. But the other extreme, perhaps, are the hyper charismatics. You, you see the devil in everything. Oh, as the preacher is talking right now, Mende tu Ionekane hapa. In the period we have had CU, there has never been a cockroach at the pulpit. Why? And the devil is in everything. Everything can be attributed to the devil. Please know that whether you are in this extreme of the secessionist or you are in this extreme of the hyper charismatic, the devil is happy. This is what C.S. Lewis says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that is the demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail. A materialist and a magician with the same delight. One who disbelieves in the existence and one who is overly obsessed with the existence, oh how delighted the devils and demons are. You cannot be in any of those extremes. You must know your enemy. In fact I dare say because you perhaps know of people that go into deep study of, you know, the demonic, right? You know, when, when there was a whole wave about the Illuminati and, and there are people who knew the signs and, and what meant what and they could tell from this music video. Do you see, rewind, rewind a few seconds, umeona, umeona you? No, that's the obsession that is, in fact, when you read the book of Revelation in one of the churches, there's a church that is commended, and Jesus says, because you have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. And when I read that passage of Scripture, if you come and start telling me about things I can't find in Scripture, about demons and the devil, he or Niako, I don't engage. That kind of obsession is wrong. But also, this extreme of complete disbelief is not helpful. Because whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we are in battle and we have an enemy. We, brothers and sisters, must have a biblical view of the devil. Not to disregard his existence, but also not to be overly obsessed with him. But we must also be aware that he is a schemer. That he will take advantage of any situation to attain his agenda of killing, stealing, and destroying. And so, if the devil was unable to destroy you using the abuse that you suffered, then he will ensure that you never get over what happened to you. To stress yourself to death with the memories. If he was unable to kill you in the hands of that abusive boyfriend, then he will ensure that you die through your own hands as you consider the rejection something too painful to deal with. Brothers and sisters, the devil is a schemer. And as the Apostle Paul says it, we are not ignorant of his schemes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11. He is a schemer. I like how one preacher put it when I was in campus, he was preaching, and he used an illustration and saying, the devil, if he cannot cause you to remove your foot from the pedal, using the illustration of driving, then he will cause you to press the pedal all the way to your destruction. And so if he intended for something to destroy you and it did not, he can still have that thought continuously recurring in your mind for your own destruction. And you must be aware that he is a schemer and not to be ignorant of his schemes. But also, we must know that it is dangerous to engage with the devil and his demons while relying on ourselves. You see those things that I was talking about? Kushika shetani na kumtupa gunia, Sijui kicking the devil in the teeth. We must be careful when we are engaging in spiritual warfare not to engage physically, not to engage carnally. When you read, for example, the sons of Sceva, I believe in Acts chapter 19, we know what happened. You know, Paul was going around and, and a lot was happening. You know, demons were being cast out. And so the sons of Sceva, they saw, ah, even as we can do this. So they went, they found a man that was bound with demons and said, I adjure you, in the name of Jesus, who is preached by Paul, come out. And the demons told them, Jesus, we know. Paul, we have heard about. The question is, who are you? And the Bible says they received such a beating, they went out naked. Now, we laugh, but if we are not careful, sometimes even when we go to these kind of missions that we go, and we start engaging spiritual matters carnally, you will receive a beating you've never received your entire life. In fact, this is what Jude writes and says. Jude has only one chapter, so verse 8 to 10. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Do you see that? Even the archangel himself, who has all spiritual power, did not dare condemn or slander the devil. All he said is, the Lord rebuke you. How then can we do the dramatic things that we do? How then can we dare have it in our power? Shetani nimesema, leo yako What is wrong with us? Only Jesus can defeat our enemy on our behalf. And all we need to do is to appeal to a superior name than ourselves. Finally, we must know that our enemy, the devil, will use the triplets of sin, flesh, and the world against us. These three will prove to be formidable weapons in his hand. He will tempt you with all manner of sins. He will cause for your flesh to crave all manner of evil desires and He will try hard to ensure that the world squeezes you to its mold. But you must be aware of this and daily strive to put to death the deeds of the flesh that are still in you. You must purpose not to be conformed to the patterns of this world but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And ultimately you must resist the devil. And as the Bible says, he will flee from you. James chapter 4 verse 7. But I can't end this conversation about knowing your devil without me telling you that actually the devil is God's devil. The devil is God's devil. The devil, at the end of the day, is a creation of God. And so sometimes we have this imagination that is wrong. We imagine the devil and God to be equal forces fighting. No, 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 no. no. The devil is just a creation and there is nothing the devil will do unless the Lord permits him. Absolutely nothing. The devil is like a dog on a leash that can only go to the extent that the owner, the one holding the leash, allows him to go. That's why when you read the book of Job chapter 1, and you can do that, when he appears before, you know, God, together with the sons of God, and he's asked, where have you been? He says, I've been just going, you know, around, up and down. And this says, have you considered my servant Job? And later, when he wants to inflict the kind of misery he inflicts upon Job, he had to get permission from who? From God. The devil is God's devil. Brothers and sisters, this is such sure ground to stand on the sovereignty of God that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that will happen to us unless the Lord permits. And so, beyond knowing our battle and our enemy, let us know ourselves. And so my third point, know yourself. Now I have a question for you tonight. Do you know yourself? Now I know, I know you sing Sinach, right? I know who God says I am. What is it? Yeah? But do you really know who you are? Do you really know your? And if you are to emerge victorious in this battle and against the enemy of your soul, the devil, then you must know yourself. Now, for those of you that are Christians tonight, because I don't assume all of you are Christians, you must know that you are a new creation. Hallelujah. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new is gone has come, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, you can't let the mistakes of the past to keep holding you back. That past is gone. You are a new creation. You are a new person. Do not let the enemy use what you did in the past to torment you. Oh, do you remember? You are no longer a virgin. That was the past. I am a new creation. Oh, do you remember? You cheated in exams in first year. That was in the past. I am a new creation. And that is hoping you no longer cheat in exams. (laughs) Or you no longer sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You must realize that you are a new creation. This is important for you to know about yourself. Because one of the things that the evil one will use in this particular battle is he will have you look back at all the mess that you did and start feeling pity about yourself. All the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. And as Paul will put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, that is who you once used to be, but now you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Not only are you a new creation, but you're also seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians chapter 21, chapter 1 verse 21 and chapter 2 verse 6. And I wonder whether this is how you view yourself as one seated with Christ in the heavenly places because that is who you are as a child of of God, that you're not some random person that the devil can just mess up with, can toy with. No, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and oh, that the eyes of our understanding will be opened, that we will see ourselves seated with Christ in the heavenly places. No, and the Bible tells us focus your eyes on things above where Christ is and not on things below. In addition to this, child of God, do you know that you are more than a conqueror? Romans eight thirty seven. In fact, let me read for you the context of that passage so that you may appreciate it even more. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? is it guys that the story is already written that we emerge victorious on the other side and so ours is not a losing battle that we fight we engage in a battle that we know at the end of this all we have won it is like watching a manchester united and a liverpool match and you are a liverpool fan you know the scores you know at the end of it all there is someone that at a We are more than conquerors. And we ought to know this about ourselves. That the enemy was not just defeated. When he says we are more than conquerors, he was completely routed and plundered by Christ. Now, your knowledge of self is only useful and your victory sure to the extent that you know your God. And so I really want to run quickly through this one because I have only five minutes remaining, and yet this is the most important part of this conversation. Now, Daniel, so we are on the last part know your God. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, the latter bit says that the people who know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. The people that know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. Brothers and sisters, knowing your God is the ultimate guarantee of winning this battle. Oh, and what can we say about our God? Now, eternity is not sufficient to fully describe him, let alone the four minutes now remaining. But allow me to mention just a few things. First, know, beloved saint, that our God is great and is greatly to be praised. Psalm 145 verse 3. Elsewhere, the apostle John declares that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Know for sure that your God is great and that your God is in you and he is greater than he who is in the world. In fact, the Bible records in one of the letters to the Thessalonians when Paul declares that when Christ appears, he will destroy the evil one with the breath of his mouth. That is how great your God is. With the breath of his mouth, he will completely destroy the evil one. Also know, That your God, as I mentioned earlier, is sovereign and nothing catches him by surprise. There is nothing that will happen to you that he has not permitted. But for the sake of time, allow me to zero in on this glorious aspect of our God. And this is the strength of our faith. Know that God loves you. In fact, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, in love, this omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God came from way up there to way down here. He condescended himself and became a man in the person of Christ. He was born in a lowly manger, lived under the roof of a carpenter, and lived to do many great and wonderful things. He healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, delivered the oppressed and possessed, fed the hungry and more but they arrested him under dubious charges. And down the Via Dolorosa they led him. They spat on him and mocked him, put a crown of thorns on his head. Then they stretched him and brutally beat him with those lashes, and afterwards they led him to Golgotha. This is Easter now, brothers and sisters. And on a rugged cross they led him. They stretched his hands and drove nails through them. Hands that had done nothing than heal the sick and touch the eyes of the blind. Then they drove nails through his feet. Feet that had done nothing other than spread the good news of the kingdom of God. And they thrust a spear on his side. And the Godman, Jesus Christ, hanging on that cross, breathed his last. Perhaps you're wondering. What has this got to do with the topic at hand? I know we are in Easter, but why should you force issues and tell us about the death of Christ? Because if you don't realize, brothers and sisters, do you not realize that the Bible says that Jesus became a curse for us? As it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. He became a curse for you. Why then, brothers and sisters, are you worried about generational curses? If Christ on that cross became a curse for you, for it is written, cursed is the man that hangs on a tree. You don't need to go for some session to break whatever curses that may be going down through your lineage. Look to the cross and see the one that became a curse for you. You are free. If you are a believer, if you have accepted him, you are free. He has taken upon himself your curse. You don't need to worry about whatever generational curse. You don't need to attend a session. You don't need to sow a seed. You only need to look to the cross and see your curse taken care of by him. You are freed from whatever you would term as a generational curse. He became a curse for you. But also consider what Paul tells the Colossians that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. And now your enemies, those spiritual superpowers we talked about, they are harmless. They have been disarmed by the cross. They are like toothless, venomless snakes. They look terrifying, but they can do absolutely nothing. They have been disarmed. Oh, it gets better. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that because of what Jesus did, he was given a name that is above every other name, at the mention of which every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Demons bow under that name. You don't need theatrics. All you need to do is call on the name of Jesus, and everything bows under that name. And this is the climax of it all that he did not remain dead. Because on the third day, hallelujah, Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. And he rose and declared to the disciples in Matthew 28, all power and authority has been given to me. Our commanding officer is the one with all power and authority. And I ask together with the Apostle Paul, if God be us. Who can be against us? Is God on your side? If your answer is not in the affirmative, receive him today. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Don't need to call an altar call. Wherever you are, you can say, Jesus, save me. I believe in you, that you are the one that died for my sins. And I confess today that you are Lord and you will be saved. But if you are a Christian, I urge you, remember who you are. But even more, remember your God. Shall we pray together? And so Lord, thank you that even in things that have a potential to terrify us. We can be reminded of what kind of a God we have. The great and awesome God, the one that has conquered all things, and the God that is on our side. So Lord, we don't have much time to do anything by way of response to this sermon, but thank you because you don't need much time. And so, if there be deliverance that is needed, To anyone, Lord, you are bringing about deliverance in the name of Jesus. If there be any healing, people that have suffered trauma of one kind or another, Lord, you are bringing about healing. If there be anyone here who does not know you, Christ, you're opening their eyes, you're removing the veil so that they may behold the splendor and the glory of Christ that is revealed in the gospel. And from today, Lord, you're helping us to know that we are more than conquerors. And so help us then to live lives that are victorious. In Jesus' name we pray.